at the end of the day, if you are getting divorced and you live in a 50-50 state, any debt that your spouse incurs is half of that is your debt too. But I do believe you can work with an attorney and talk about gambling debts and that there can be some negotiations with that in your separation agreement, dissolution agreement, divorce agreement, where you do not have to take responsibility for that debt. But again, that's all part of negotiations. Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. It's great to have you here again. I'm your host, Stacey Francis. And today we're going to be talking about compulsive gambling. It's the addiction that, quite frankly, no one talks about. And we are going to be doing just that today. We have two important guests today who share their stories about their husband are, were, compulsive gamblers. Both Karen and Lynn share how it affected their marriage and, well, in one of the cases, devastated her marriage. And they're key information to you to understand what compulsive gambling is, how to recognize it, what resources you have available, and also, most importantly, how to protect yourself. Karen was the wife of a compulsive gambler who had been involved in dealing with his addiction for over 20 years years. She retired as a speech pathologist, and she became extremely involved in a 12-step group, which supports friends and family members, maybe even you, and who are involved with compulsive gamblers. She also has a a well-read blog sharing her experiences, sharing advice to women just like you. And Lynn. Lynn is a dear, dear client of mine. She and her husband started working with Francis Financial well over a decade ago. We saw his gambling addiction spiral out of control. And Lynn lived it and saw it and experienced it every single day. This gambling addiction grew even more over the last seven years of their almost 20-year marriage. And Lynn comes to us as a newly divorced woman, sharing her words of wisdom for you to protect you, to protect your family. And I just want to say thank you again to these amazing, brave, authentic, courageous women because they share their stories and they don't sugarcoat anything. And what this means for you is that you're going to walk away with a better understanding about your situation, with the resources you need to get more information to make good decisions. And that's what Financially Ever After is about. So please help me welcome 
two women that have superhero capes on, both Karen and Lynn. Thank you for joining. Well, thank you, Lynn and Karen, for joining us today on Financially Ever After. We haven't really talked about gambling on Financially Ever After, and I did some research to be prepared for today, and I was shocked. You may not be shocked, but I was shocked at how prevalent gambling addiction is. As many as 10 million Americans are diagnosed with or or compulsive gamblers, according to national studies. And what's interesting is that it's not just adults. We're seeing this happen to kids younger and younger. In fact, a study just came out and found that one in 20 college students meet the criteria for compulsive gambling. And it's that's actually double the rate of the overall adult population. So this is a an important issue, no matter what your age is. But I know what concerns me is it's almost as if we're minting a whole nother generation of compulsive gamblers. But I feel like this is not something that many people talk about. And so I'm so appreciative for both of you for sharing your stories today, for coming forward. And you each have similar, but also very different stories that I know our listeners are going to so benefit from hearing. So thank you for being here, Karen. And thank you for being here, Lynn. I so appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Lynn, can you share your story and how did you realize that there was a problem that your spouse was a compulsive gambler? Was it something that you knew from the very beginning or was it something that slowly over time it became more and more clear to you? Stacy, slowly over time. And yeah. I think when you talk about how a lot of people don't talk about this, I think that's that part of the reason why is because it's hard for people to wrap their minds around it being a problem or an addiction. When you think of addiction, you think of drugs, you think of alcohol, but a behavioral addiction like gambling, it's hard to wrap your brain around. And it's it's a game, right? It's fun. My ex-husband and I started off with trips with his family to Las Vegas, had a lot of fun at the casinos. We would go on cruises. There's always a casino on every boat, would have wonderful times. You get at a good blackjack table with a lot of really fun people. It's a great time. It's a lot of laughs. And if you win, feels really good. And it was fun for a while. And then my ex-husband discovered that there was an Indian casino that was nearby where we used to live. And once he discovered, I mean, it used to be just limited to when we would go to Vegas or when we would go on a cruise. But then once he discovered that this was an hour and a half's drive away, he started disappearing. I would come home from work and he wasn't there. And then I'm using find my phone to track him down through his Apple ID. Yeah. And then we moved and he found a poker game in a nearby community that started off as poker with his new friends on Wednesdays. Then it was poker with his new friends Mondays and Wednesdays. And then it was poker with his friends Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then it was driving an hour and a half to the state that I live in. There's um, four casinos. 
driving to, you know, an hour and a half to the nearest casino. You know, it just became. Yeah, yeah. it became more it, and more. It became something that he did frequently rather than occasionally. And Karen, you have a story as well. Is is that story parallel to Lynn where it became more conscious for you of what was going on over time? Well, my story's a little bit different, although always in this disease, there always is a progression. People mm-hmm. start out small and then it grows and grows. The other thing about this disease too is that it is a hidden disease very often. There's a lot of lying, a lot of secrecy. And so I did not know my husband was gambling. I found out actually 24 years ago in 1997, it came as a total shock to me. I had young children at that time. And all I had noticed is over the years, he had turned into a different person. He was irritable. He was moody. He was angry. He was depressed. He didn't want to go to work. He was gone all the time. You know, time was a big thing that he was just never there for me and the kids. And I was encouraging him to go to counseling because I thought he was depressed. And when he said, yeah, those are all the signs. Yeah. He did go to a counselor. And the counselor said, you have to come clean with your wife. So he came home and he began to tell me that the whole thing was about a gambling problem. And at that point, he was already, I don't, I don't even remember, the, the amount doesn't matter, probably seventy dollars or $80,000 in debt that I did not know about. He had all of his bills sent to a separate address. So I didn't see any bills coming in the mail. I didn't know. He held back his own check from letting me see how much he actually made. He would give me money for the bills, you know. And that money never went up as he got raises, but I never questioned it, you know? And so what he was doing is taking a lot of money off the top. He didn't want me to see how much he made because he didn't want me to know how much he was, you know, gambling. And when I first found out, I guess I thought I could maybe save him for like consolidating his debt. And, you know, I thought, oh, he's learned his lesson and, you know, it's never happened again. That was not true. He did not get help. And so therefore he did not get better. And his first relapse was less than a year later. And that's when, I knew I needed help and I joined a 12-step group of my own. They suggested that I take over the finances, that I totally take over the money. Yep. Not to keep him from gambling, but just to take care of myself, to really protect myself and my family. The 12-step program you joined was Mm -hmm. Gammonon. Gammonon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about that? Because it's such a wonderful support to help you go through this journey and understand those next steps. Well, you know, the the 12-step group for the gambler is called Gamblers Anonymous, GA. The 12-step group for those of us involved in relationship with people with a gambling problem is Gam Anon, has a hyphen in the middle. People get them mixed up all the time. So that's why I'm clarifying that. It's a self-help group, support group of other people who are going through the same thing. And there's a lot of shame involved with this disease because a lot of times you don't want anyone to know what's going on. And so you don't talk to anybody about it. There's a lot of denial and that kind of thing. So this is a place where you can go and you can talk freely and everybody understands. And they tell how they solve similar problems. And yep. so they help you work through the 12 steps and through the meetings to change your life, really. And actually, when I joined Gammonon, the first thing they said is, you should be handling the money. But when yes. my husband refused, I wasn't strong enough, really, to stand up to him. So they gave me a lot of other suggestions and I did most of the things, but I just didn't want to question him. I just wanted to say yes to him and whatever. And so he just kept going back. He'd go to GA for a little while, then he'd get a little better and then he'd start gambling again. And this went on for a period of time. And finally, as I kept going to Gammonon and kept learning about this disease and getting emotionally stronger myself, because I was 
enmeshed with him. I had to separate myself emotionally from him and understand the nature of the disease more clearly. And once I got that, eventually I finally said, you just have to leave. Cause I, I, yeah. I found out one more loan, one more new account, one more new credit card, whatever. And we separated, I got a legal separation for him. And we were actually separated for almost five years before he finally did get into recovery. I mean, there's a lot of hope for people that do go to Gaminon and GA. Yeah, It's hard, but it's yeah. not hopeless. There's a lot of hope there. During the time we were separated, however, he totally devastated himself financially, declared bankruptcy. We sold our house and he gambled away his side of the profits. I invested in another place of my own. So now I own a home myself in my name. He emptied out his 403B. I kept my retirement account. Eventually, the court stepped in because he owed the IRS so much money. You know, this is the thing. This is where the disease goes. It goes towards yeah. bankruptcy, divorce, suicide, jail. I hate to say that, but if without treatment, those are the directions you're going to, a hopeless situation. So the IRS finally said he had problems, took him to, you know, he had to go to court. He had to get a lawyer. He had to get a trustee to pay his bills, you know, and he was yeah. very depressed. And eventually yeah. he got back into the program. And when he got into the program and really got serious, that's when we were able to reconcile our marriage. So now we're back yeah. together. And I love you sharing your story, Karen, because you offer hope. But I think what is so powerful, and you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Lynn, but with Karen, your husband recognized that he had a problem and went to Gambling Anonymous and when he came back to you and had to kind of go off the deep end. Whereas Lynn, tell me your story. Did, you know, do you feel like your ex-husband ever really recognized that he had a serious disease? No, I think he recognizes that it's a problem, but I think he thinks that he will get a handle on it and that he's just going through a bad patch. He had a bad day. He was feeling low. You know, yeah. these are the the things that he would would tell me when he made a trip to the casino or when he withdrew more money and went over budget. See, one of the strategies I yeah. tried with with this, Stacy, was I tried to budget for it. You took over the finances, similar to uh, you, you know, Karen being told that. But that put you in a pretty tough position of almost having to be his mom. Exactly. And so we would get our, into arguments about that. You're treating me like a child. Why do you get to pay money for, you know, comparing and contrasting what we were paying money for? Well, you know, you bought a nice Burberry coat and I didn't complain about that. So why are you, yeah, yeah. Why are you yeah. on me about this? This is my hobby. It's pleasurable. And then we got into debates about my money, your money, which is yeah. interesting because prior to this, it was our money, our resources. Exactly. But yeah. now it became, and in, in some ways that uh, this actually helped me, Stacy, because once we started looking for ways to budget for this and create separate streams of here's your yep. allowance. And here's what I'm going to use for the household. Then when I hit bottom with this, I was able to take some steps to financially isolate myself from his gambling and his gambling mm -hmm. debts. 
Yeah, I was going yeah. to say that too, Stacy. that it's very clear. They make it very clear in Gaminon that they give us practical ways to protect ourselves financially, knowing that it's never going to stop a compulsive gambler from gambling. They will find the money somewhere. They will go over, they'll go to the ATM, they'll take a loan, they'll get a, they'll go to a friend, they'll get any way that they can get. It's like any addiction. You're desperate enough that you would do anything for, for that next bet. And so they're chasing all the time, trying to get back the money they've lost. And it it, it is a an unbelievable strain on a marriage because yeah. you end up being the nag, the yeah. mother. That's the no fun. Right. And you want to be married to the a person you love. Right. You know, you don't want a necessarily another child. But the finances um, have to be for protection. And that is something that we have to talk about today. Whether you stay in that relationship or you decide that you want to move on with a separation or a divorce, you have to protect yourself because otherwise you're going to be dragged down as well. And so Karen, you shared some really important steps that you took when you went back to that relationship and and reconciled with your husband. And that was buying a house in your name only, you know, having your retirement and keeping that separate. Are there any other things that you did as well that to protect Oh, yeah. Your financial stability. So, yeah. Even those things, you have to be very, very careful that no one else can have access to those accounts because gamblers are usually very charming, very intelligent and very manipulative. So they can talk their way around things sometimes and get money out of accounts. I, I have seen gamblers get money out of accounts that they never should have been able to touch, but somehow they talk their way into it. So I think number one is take their name off of anything jointly. Exactly. Like right now, my husband does have only one account joint with me, and that is because his paycheck has to be delivered into an account with his name. And the day it comes in, I take the money out and put it in a separate account that he does not have access to. And it's very difficult sometimes for people who are codependent to and enmesh with their gambler and emotional to say, I'm going to open up my own account and I'm going to keep my money separate. But you can add all kinds of second layers of protection so that you get a text if someone does start to get into that account, you know, or or what I do is I have one, if it's over $25, they notify me. If it's over $25 yep. taken out of this yep. account, I get notified. Um, changing the passwords, you'd be surprised how many people do not keep their passwords safe or they use them over and over and over again. And your spouse knows that. They know your birthday. They know your your address, you know, your I mean, that's name. Yeah, they yeah, got it. Your maiden name, you know, you, you <laughs> need to change them and keep them safe. I have an app that saves my passwords. So that's mm-hmm. how I keep track mm-hmm. of my passwords. Getting a credit report, going to the, the major three and getting a credit report frequently, keeping track of your FICO score, you know, going yeah. on the, yeah. the, the major three and also freezing your accounts. I know Amy has done this also and, and a couple of other friends that I know have done this. Lynn has done this, that you put it on there so that if any new accounts are opened up, you're notified immediately. You bring up so many good things that you, you know, recommend, you know, for all of you listening at Financially Ever After here today, you can get a credit report from all three Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion by going to one place. It's called annualcreditreport.com, annualcreditreport.com. There's no fee to do so. You can go in and it allows you to get a report on you. Now, you can't get one on your spouse 
but you can get one on yourself, which is important because there have been many times where we've seen signatures forged and your credit score has been used to open up a new credit card in their name. We've also seen this and why, Karen, I I think it's such a good piece of advice of getting your name off any joint accounts, whether they're credit cards, whether they're checking, savings, brokerage accounts, also mortgages and homes, because there have been many times that we've seen someone have $100,000, even a $300,000 home equity line of credit that they knew nothing about that went towards gambling. And how did it happen? Well, again, their signature was forged. Yeah, so all these things are really important. And I agree that, you know, freezing your credit, while I've frozen my credit, not for these reasons, but for others, it's a pain in the patushi, I will tell you. (laughs) It is anytime, you know, it's a pain in the patushi, but it's worth it. It's worth it. So these are all fantastic tools. Lynn, what were some of the things that- Stacey, I have one more thing to say, and that is old school. Don't forget old school things. In other words- I slept for over two years with my purse under my pillow. I took it in the bathroom with me when I went in to take a shower. I know that sounds horrible, but that is what I did because money would be missing from my purse. Valuables, grandma's wedding ring, mother's silver knives, you know, jewelry that you have. I know that sounds ridiculous, but people will pawn these and have pawned them. There have been many, many people in our group who have lost really important valuables. I finally put mine in a safety deposit box that only I could sign for, you know, insurance policies that could be cashed in. You know, these are things we don't always think of, but even credit cards, there was one person in our group whose son kept taking her credit card out of her purse and using it for cash advances. And I finally said to her, when you get home, lock your wallet in the filing cabinet. It's Mm -hmm. as simple as that. I mean, that's not a hard thing to do. It's not a way we like to live, but it's a reality. It's interesting. I was looking up and I saw the statistic that, again, just really drives home what you're saying. Six in 10 Gambler Anonymous members reported writing bad checks and stealing money from loved ones. 30% actually reported stealing from work. So what you're saying, and, and and for those that might be listening, it may not feel like this is a real threat. It is. It is. And what you talk about of they will get that money somewhere. We know that happens with drugs, right? We know that happens with alcohol, but I feel like in America, we we don't equate a gambling addiction and the severity of that behavior, what it, what, what it will cause people to do on par with what we see in the individuals addicted to drugs or, or alcohol. And that's something that has to change because this is a real problem and it's challenging because it doesn't have physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. You can see when someone's addicted to drugs, but you can't, there's not like a physical in your face that you can't ignore physical symptom that hits you every single day when you see that person when they have a gambling addiction. Lynn, what did you do? How did you protect yourself? Because I know you shared, you you made that conscious effort and you started putting some things in place. And one of them you shared was freezing your your credit, which is is so powerful. Right. Well, and that was done actually, Stacy, much earlier. <laughs> My f- former employer 
had a human resources person who was fished. Somebody sent an email, a phishing email to her, and it looked like it was coming from her boss, and he wanted all of the W-2s forwarded to him. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So I put a freeze on my credit, and I've just kept it. And you're right. When you want to buy a car or do something that somebody needed, when I moved into my new apartment after my divorce, they want a credit check. Yep. You have have to to go in and unfreeze (laughs) it for those that 24 hour period. But you know what? To me, the security of knowing that nobody's opening credit cards in my name or taking out loans in my name, worth it, worth it, worth it. I have to say that I wanted to comment on something. One of the things when I hear Karen talking about sleeping with your purse or getting a credit check and seeing what's on there. It's really hard because you want to trust your spouse. You want to trust your son or your daughter. And you think that love means trust. And one of the things that we talk about in Gammonon is the two are very, very different. I can love you and I can also not trust you, certainly not trust you with my money. And those are not two diametrically opposed things. So that's one thing, because I think people shy away from taking these steps because they think it shows a lack of love. And what it does is it's showing self-love, that you care enough about your own financial future, your family's financial security, that you are going to just double check and see what's going on, especially if you think that there's a problem. So yeah. I did run, check my credit. That was fine. My ex wasn't doing anything like that. Let me say this. I really appreciate Stacy. Some I'm, I'm a fan of Financially Ever After, and I've learned so much from some of your other podcasts. And one of them was really encouraging women to be an equal partner in the family finances, to not cede control to your husband or to adopt these traditional men handle the money and women handle the household kind of things. It's so important to have access to credit card statements. You mentioned the mortgage. One thing that I found out that my ex did, I saw, I was looking at a mortgage statement and I saw a little line item there. We had a home equity line of credit just in case we didn't use it, but I saw a little thousand dollars on the home equity line of credit. He had written a check on that HELOC to gamble. So it's important to have access to the paperwork and to take a look. So to answer your question, we separated bank accounts. We didn't, yep. we no longer had a joint back bank account. He had opened credit cards in his name and me in my name, but we both removed the other as an authorized yep. user. Yep, great. Um, you took off the signature authorized cool. user on it. Great. Correct. At the end of the day, if you are getting divorced and you live in a 50-50 state, any debt that your spouse incurs is half of that is your debt too. But I do believe you can work with an attorney and talk about gambling debts and that there can be some negotiations with that in your separation agreement, dissolution agreement, divorce agreement where you do not have to take responsibility for that debt. But again, that's all part of negotiations. Yeah, yeah because that this is huge. So the, the fancy word 
And I want all of our listeners to know this too, because when you're going in and, and just getting educated, talking to a lawyer, it doesn't mean that you're going to decide to get separated or divorced, but you just want to get educated, which we highly recommend. The word you want to use is wasteful dissipation. And what wasteful dissipation is exactly what you talk about, Lynn, Karen, what you experienced as well, where they are using marital assets for the purpose of gambling. We see it often with alcohol addictions, with drug, you know, funding drug habits, going to strippers and the girlfriend or, and I'm not saying any of these things with you, but that is wasteful dissipation. We even have seen wasteful dissipation awards given to spouses where their husband or wife went off on spending sprees. And when I mean like he asked for divorce and then she went and bought a $300,000 car the next day, (laughs) then bought herself, you know, $100,000 in jewelry. Because this was her thought of like, well, I'm keeping this stuff, I'm buying it for me and screw you. So that is something definitely that you want to talk to a lawyer about. And why, as you talk about being involved with the finances is so important because you have to prove that. You have to show the debts where they came from. It's not just a no problem, here's $50,000 and we'll give you $10,000 more because this has been so difficult for you for your pain and suffering. That's not what happens. And so being on top of the finances is not a nice to have. It's a really must have. And even more so in both of your situations, very much. Yeah. You know, Stacy, we have a couple of people in our group, depending what state they're in, because we're on a Zoom group right now. We have people from yeah. all over the country in our group, but a couple of them have gotten what's called a postnuptial agreement, which is like a prenup, only it's yep. done after you're married. And because the one woman eventually did have to get a divorce. And when she did, her post-nup held firm that she was not responsible then for anything that was accumulated in, in gambling debt. So that's just another legal thing you can, you know, investigate if you can yeah. do it in your state. Yeah. Postnups are uh, wonderful opportunities to even more formally protect yourself because essentially what it is at that point is you're drawing a land, a line, and I'm not going to say in the sand, I'm going to say a line in the concrete at that point says, if we were to get a divorce, this is what I'm going to walk away with, what I am responsible for with regards to debts. And this is what you're going to walk away and what you're responsible for. And it is key. And I have to tell you, the spouse that has a gambling addiction is going to be much more willing to agree to a post-nup and much more willing to have you walk away with potentially more assets if there's a divorce because they are going to be on their best behavior to try and save the relationship. Whereas if you don't have a post-nup and you go straight to a divorce, they know, well, I've lost. I've lost. I, I might as not even stay you know, at the, the roulette table. I, there's just no chance. There's no longer any chance for me to win. And they're not going to be nearly as agreeable as they will be in that post-nup negotiation. But we see post-nups many times. So my husband and I have talked about a post-nup. We're happily, happily married, but I have grown this business 
for 20 years. And now of all the assets, it's the most valuable asset we have. So if we end up getting a divorce, and again, we're very happy, but I mean, aliens could abduct them. Who knows? What, <laughs> I've just, I've seen everything. I get to walk away and sleep on the couch in our, our, our office. And Lynn's been there. It's a nice couch, but it's not that nice. And I get to have my business. And he gets the boat, the Vermont house, the beautiful New York City condo. Yeah. And so, you know, that's another situation of, okay, well, how do we, how do we do this so that we're both walking away financially secure? So it doesn't always have to be that, you know, for sure you're going to get a divorce or that there's problems in a marriage. Postups are becoming more and more and more common. And they're, Karen, I'm so appreciative that you bring that up because it's, it's a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful tool to talk. Again, that's one of the things you want to talk to a lawyer about of like, what would it look like if we divorced? What would it look like if we legally separated? What would it look like if we had a post nup and, and just understanding all those all those different options. You know, earlier, Stacy, you asked me a lot about what what Gaminon did for someone. And Gaminon isn't going to tell you these kinds of, you know, specifics like that unless there's somebody in the room that's done it. But what they're going to teach you too is not is to no longer be in denial about what's really going on. That it's okay yeah. for you as a person to be in a relationship that's 50-50 where each of you have the same knowledge of finances in your family. And I was never like that. Looking back at it, I was very foolish. I waited way too long because I I just didn't want to hurt my husband. It goes back to what Lynn said earlier about, you know, I wanted to trust him. I didn't think it was loving, you know, all of that. And so I held back. And in the meantime, I was literally, now I'm not exaggerating. I rolled coins one year to pay for our hotel at Disney World, okay? But when we got there, I found out afterwards from my husband, which I didn't know at the time, that all the time we were there, he kept going to ATMs and taking out thousands of dollars. So it was like penny wise and pound foolish, you know, like I, I was saving his good feelings about himself, his self-esteem, and I was rolling pennies and not buying shoes and not going to the hairdresser. Doing and everything you could to make ends doing meet. Doing everything I could to save money because we didn't have enough money sometimes to go on vacation or to make ends meet. And that's the other thing that why I say denial is we were both professionals. I should have known we made enough money to have a very comfortable life. Why didn't I look at that and say, hey, wait a minute, where's yeah. this money going here? You know, I think I because the only thing I can suggest is that I was just as sick as he was at that point. You know, I had fallen into this denial and not wanting to believe that my husband was involved in an addiction. Well, I mean, and, and I don't want to say this is better, but. God forbid your spouse has cancer. Your friends rally and support you and they're there for you. And let's just hope that it's like a a non-terminal cancer, right? And they recover. But that is so different than a gambling addiction. There's no one rallying around to support you. My mother would say to me, what's wrong with what he's doing? Why can't you give him what he wants? You know, just give him, he has his play money and you have yours and just let him do, you know, let him have the money that he wants. That works if you can live within a budget. But the very definition of a gambling addiction is you can't live within a budget. My husband had a dedicated more than $1,000 a month as his gambling allowance he would blow that in two days, would say, I'm done for the month. This is cool. Maybe midway through the month would come to me and ask for an advance on his allowance. He would pay me back once the uh, 
distribution came into into the um, into the accounts. This is part of the denial. You think yeah, it is. that people are right? going to act rationally, that they will see that there are zeros in the yeah. checking account. It doesn't matter. My ex used cash advances. My ex pawned his dad's Rolex and then would come to me and say, we need to get this out of pock. And by the way, oh, it's my dad's Rolex. So here I was stuck and thinking, well, how can I say no to that? The thing that Gammonon teaches you is to say no to that, that you are not to use family budget, household budget money to pay a gambler's debts. And this is where the rubber met the road for me and my ex, because I started drawing that line in the concrete and saying, I will not accept this unacceptable behavior, you will need to, he's retired, you will need to go back to work and start paying this off. He did. He got a part-time job, was very frustrated because it's a part-time job. It paid $10, $15 an hour. And he had, at that time, $7,000 in cash advances on his credit card. And he said, how am I ever going to pay this off? And I said, I don't know, keep working at it, <laughs> you know, because because yeah. right? I wasn't, yeah. I, I was yeah. not going to take the bait and say, oh, I get it. I feel badly for you. We do have the money to pay this off. Let's just take, you know, because we were drawing down on our savings. Let's yeah. just do another drawdown on our retirement savings and get out from under this. And it's a myth because we would do that and then we would be right back in it again, right back in it again. You, you so you have to be something. strong. You're so true. And, and the thing that she explains here so perfectly is that if a gambler is actively engaged in their addiction, they are very sick people. This is the thing. You cannot have a rational, regular marital conversation about money because the symptoms of the disease are irrational thinking, lying, fantasizing. Blaming, manipulation, rationalization. I mean, they only really care about one thing, and that is getting the money for the next bet. It's like any other addiction. They would sell their mother to get the money for the next bet. And that's when you're in it with a spouse, that's a tough thing to accept. You you don't want to believe that that's true, but you're forced really to make unilateral decisions in order to protect yourself and your family. I had kids going into college. I mean, I, I had to protect them. I mean, he had taken most of the money out of their savings accounts, but luckily I had separate accounts saved for their college because the ones that we had at the savings bank, those were gone right away. And then, of course, you have the arguments, the strife, the blaming, and it just doesn't make for a a good situation at home at all. We talk a lot about the gambler, but really the focus needs to be on us. Yeah. I am powerless over my ex's gambling addiction. There's nothing I can do about it. What I need to focus on is the way that I enable it by rationalizing it, by stepping in, thinking that I'm doing this. What I've come to believe is that the most loving thing that I can do is to let my ex hit his bottom. And that is a very, very hard stand to take because I don't want to see him in pain and I don't want to see him economically destitute, but it is the most loving thing because otherwise 
if I'm there bailing him out all the time, he may never get the help that he needs. So my focus is on what I can do to stay strong. And Stacey, you and I have worked together for many, many years, and you were the person who helped me realize what was happening to me because I was so I was so confused and so upset. I wanted to be the loving wife. I wanted to be supportive. I wanted my husband to, to enjoy his retirement. I wanted him to have fun and have his hobbies. And I didn't understand why I was feeling so conflicted about this, so depressed and yeah. deep down inside, so angry and stressed. And it wasn't until you gave me the words financial infidelity that I was able to see, ah, this is what is going on for me. This is why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling. And this is why it's important for me to take a stand and say, this is no longer acceptable. What you both have shared today is just so powerful. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because this is your life. This is not easy. And what I will say, though, is that you are helping thousands of women who are in that place where you were that don't know the words to explain what's going on and have even less of an idea where to go to get support and answers. And you've given that gift. And I can't thank you enough for that. You know, I'd love to just pass it. Any other parting words that you want to make sure that the women here are able to hear any any advice that you want to make sure that you get in that that maybe we weren't able to to touch on already the one thing that i was thinking of that we haven't touched on yet is really encouraging women not to make idle threats because idle threats are never going to work And, and usually you're not going to be strong enough to go through with what you've threatened better is to, first of all, get some help, go to Gaminon, go get some support. There's all kinds of meetings you can go to, go to a lawyer if you need to, all of those kinds of things, the practical things, before you make a conscious decision about what you want to do in the future. Because very often we get angry or upset or fearful, and we just lash out with some idle threat that a gambler kind of likes that. They're betting on the fact that you're not going to follow through. And so a better way to do it is to know that this is a serious problem and you need some help with it rather than try to just threaten. And I I just think you can't do better than to just get knowledge, you know, get knowledge, go to Gamanon, listen to podcasts like yours, you know, all of those kinds of things I think are, and knowing we have a, a saying in our program, work it, you're worth it. And I think that's the thing that most women need to know too. You're worth it. You deserve a happy life and a sound financial future. And the only way you're going to get it is, is taking yeah. that step yourself. And Lynn, I really was so grateful that you talked about how the focus should be on her. We can't fix them. We can't solve the issue. We can't make them realize it's a, a problem. We can't make them go get help. But we can do all those wonderful things for ourselves. You know, I know when you're traveling, they always say the the mask falls from the airplane, you put it on yourself first and then put it on your loved ones. Well, you got to put it on you because otherwise you're going to be suffocated and your finances are going to be shriveled up. And wow, 
That's not the financial future anyone wants, let alone deserves. I really hope that also the people listening know that you two are not victims. What you've done is you have gone through this experience and you've acknowledged your role, protected yourself, got the resources, the help, and Karen, you say this again, the knowledge and the information that you needed to make the right decisions for you, which, you know, for you, Karen, it was reconciling and having a wonderful relationship. And for you, Lynn, it was moving on. Both very valid choices, but both of you came to your choices because you had that knowledge, that information to make that choice, which I, I think is just such a wonderful message to share. Stacy, if I may make two parting thoughts. One, I'd like to tell women, it's okay to be concerned about finances. One of the yes. things that my husband really got me twisted around a tree, a mental tree was, gosh, honey, you're so afraid. You're so afraid. I wish you wouldn't be so afraid about money and about your future. And it's okay to have, it's okay to be concerned about money. You're not being venal or gold digging or whatever, you know, whatever story women tell themselves that if I think about money, I'm money grubbing, that this is base, that I should be above this. No, money is important. Money allows you to express your values and achieve your goals and your vision. So you should be concerned about money. And the second thing that I want women to know is trust your gut. If things are not adding up, then as Karen suggested, and as you always suggest, Stacy, in your podcasts, get more information, ask yeah. some questions, educate yourself, find the checkbook, look at the bank statements, look at the credit card, call your mortgage lender and ask, are there any home equity line of credit lines yeah. that have been yeah. taken out that you don't know about? Get armed with some information and most especially come to Gaminon to get support. I can't thank you both enough. And all of you listening, all the resources that Karen and Lynn spoke about today, everything from how to get a copy of your credit report, we're actually going to put in there how to get a copy of your tax return, just to make sure that you're looking at the tax. We'll put that in there too. We'll also include how to check your FICO score, how to freeze your credit cards, And we'll include the resources of Gamblers Anonymous as well as Gaminon and put links for all of those pieces. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you to all of our listeners for just a wonderful podcast, heartfelt, authentic, and very brave. Very brave. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Stacey. This was such an important podcast, and I want to say thank you for joining. If you are experiencing the difficulties of dealing with a spouse with a gambling addiction or know of a friend or a family member that is, please share this podcast with them. And also make sure you go to the show notes because all of those resources that I promised, they are there. The biggest concern is the concern of their addiction ruining and devastating your financial security. And if you're worried about that, please reach out. We can see where you are financially, give you advice on how to protect yourself to move forward 
in a way that is secure. And it's not about necessarily getting divorced. It's about giving you the options on how to protect yourself and giving you the knowledge and the education so that you can make that decision, whatever is right for you. Because both Lynn and Karen show us that there are many different paths and no one is telling you or forcing you to take one over the other. That's what we're all about, giving you the education, the knowledge, the tools, the support for choosing that path that's right for you. And I love how we talked about self-love because that's what this is about. You have to take care of you first because you can't take care of anyone else, especially someone who doesn't believe they have a problem and won't get help. If you have any questions, reach out to me. It's Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com. Again, Stacy at francisfinancial.com. Or you can go to our website. We've got a lot of great information and actually a few articles that I've written about gambling addictions, divorce, and how to protect yourself. And you can find those at www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, for making this investment in you, in your financial future. And I'll be seeing you in, in two weeks. Thank you.